0: Good morning, everyone, wherever you are. Today's reading is from 1 Samuel 17, and it's in two parts, verses 1 to 11 and verses 45 to 47. In your church Bibles, we're looking at page 288 and 289. Now, the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soko and Azekar. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley in between them. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you are not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects, but if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Fantastic.
1: Thank you, Gary. It's uh, good of the Lord to provide uh, background sound effects to the reading this morning, isn't it? Uh, If those of you who are online, there was a significant thunderstorm a moment ago, Uh, and uh, just as Gary was reading, which is uh, brilliant. I want to start this morning by telling you a story which I have told some of you before, so forgive me for that, Um, I think it bears uh, repeating, it's helpful enough to hear again. Jess, uh, my wife and I have been married for 10 years. Uh, this year, and we have mostly failed at having good wedding anniversaries. Um, It it started on the very first one, in fact, where Jess forgot it was our wedding anniversary and invited a friend to stay for the weekend, so that's kept me in credit for all of the other nine, uh, which has been fantastic. Uh, Without doubt, the worst anniversary we had was our sixth wedding anniversary, um, because the day before our daughter Ellie was born, and uh, you might think that's a bit harsh, um, but in fact, Ellie's birth was not uh, peaceful and calm uh, as it could have been. There was significantly larger amounts of blood uh, as a consequence of her birth than there should have been. Uh, I despite at one point thinking I might be a doctor, um, managed to pass out as a consequence of it, and you are allowed to think that's funny, Um, but also do have some sympathy because... Somehow I managed to get home, having done so, uh, but then was transported back to hospital by an ambulance, uh, treated for medical shock as a result of what happened uh, in, uh, in that uh, maternity ward. Jess and I spent therefore our sixth wedding anniversary in different wards uh, of <laughs> Warwick, uh, Warwick University uh, Hospital. I don't think I have ever been as afraid as I was during that whole process. Um, And I don't think I've ever been as afraid up to now uh, as I was then. And some of you may have experienced something uh, similar. Today we are thinking about fear, uh, as uh, you may have just picked up from there. And in this passage, uh, as Neil said, we're looking at this story of David and Goliath for the next three weeks. In this passage, I think we see two different types of fear at work. And we see both of those types of fear at work today. One I think we see too much of, and the other I suggest we don't see perhaps enough of. The first of these is a fear of an unknown. I was tempted to call this sermon point, ah! Because that's the response that it uh, it brings into us. I asked Ellie and Jacob to do a fear, a scared face uh, to illustrate the point to us. This is the fear that I had uh, in that place of Ellie's birth, fear that I didn't really know what was going to happen next, and if if I'm honest, little trust that God really knew what was going to happen next. It's the fear that we see in the first part of the reading that Gary just read to us with the Israelites. They are afraid, they are fearful of what's going to happen, they don't know what's going to happen. They're probably afraid that they'll either be brought back into slavery or worse, uh, to be killed. And how we respond to crises like this will reveal what is driving us, what is going on inside of us. I wonder if at the moment we are in a little bit of a fear endemic in our society. Look at the politics that we uh, see around us. Look at the news. Look, for, if you wish, at Facebook or at Twitter. See fear wherever you go. What about the church? Do we see fear driving the church, I wonder? I've got some friends uh, to help me, newly ordained, uh, that are going to just illustrate this for a moment. Uh, vicar number one. <laughs> newly ordained by me, so it doesn't really count. This vicar is so afraid of the financial situation of the church that every single decision they make is based on the bank balance and not necessarily what God is saying to them. Fear of finances drives all that this vicar does all of the time. He's probably not going to stand up, he's so overwhelmed. He's also ordained, slightly larger collar, maybe more Anglo-Catholic. This vicar is scared of people, so terrified of upsetting anybody that he won't change anything or do anything that would upset him. He takes the decision just to make all of his decisions based on the loudest voices that he hears, rather uh, than uh, what God is saying. Perhaps fear is at work in our churches as well, really overwhelmed that one. But what about us? What are the ways in which fear is driving us? Does fear of being alone make us overly busy? Does fear of insignificance make us strive for position in places? There are so many ways in which fear can drive us. How do we make our decisions? Because if we leave it unchecked, we don't do anything with that fear. It will eventually debilitate us. It will stop us moving forward. I'll come back to that in a couple of minutes. What's the alternative? What is this other fear that we see at work in this passage that I think we need to see more of? It is the fear of the Lord. Uh, I asked Jacob and Ellie to show me a confidence picture. Uh, this is, the, this is their, their attempt at being uh, confident. Confident. Oswald Chambers said this, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else, whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Spurgeon similarly put it like this, the fear of God is the death of every other fear. Like a mighty lion, it chases all others before it. Now, fear of God is not specifically mentioned in this passage, but it is what David is exemplifying in his response to Goliath. He knows who God is. He knows what it is to fear only the Lord. And so therefore, he isn't exhibiting fear in the face of something that otherwise we might think he should. It's important for us to remember as well that fear is not the same as being afraid. We are, of course, called to an intimate, loving relationship with Father God. We are called, he calls us our friend. This is about a reverence of God, a recognition of him as almighty. Simon Ponsonby says, we've lost uh, the almighty and replaced him with the almighty. No longer the almighty, but the almighty. And what's the consequence of this? Well, as Oswald uh, and, and uh, Spurgeon both say, Every other fear increases if we lose our fear of the Lord. We can lose perspective like the Israelites do in this story. I want to illustrate this this morning, I think, um, with a passage of scripture that we don't often use apart from when we hear a preacher about giving. Uh, And um, I don't want to talk to you about giving today, it's not really the reason for it, I have actually questioned sharing this with you, so if it's not helpful for you, then forgive me. Uh, but it's on my heart, been on my heart all week as I've been preparing for this evening, this morning. I just think it's amazing. Still, clearly, if it's not helpful, then forgive me. But you might know this verse of scripture. We quote it often. I've quoted it myself here. Malachi 3:10. "Test me in this," says the Lord Almighty. "See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing." that there will not be room enough to store it. It is the only place in Scripture where the Lord calls us to test him, our finances. He says, test me in this. But we often miss out the context of this verse. This is Malachi speaking to uh, the people on behalf of God, a prophecy from God. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into this storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I don't think this morning the reason I've been asked to share that, or I feel that's on my heart, is actually about giving. It might be for one or two of us, that is a challenge. But I wonder if in losing sight of the Almighty, we might be in danger of robbing him of other things, robbing him of our time. Robbing him of our attention, robbing him of our obedience, our obedience to scripture, our desire to let it lead us, and possibly our money. So what does it mean for us to be fearful of the Lord, I wonder? Pope Francis says this, it is a joyful awareness of God's majesty, A joyful awareness of God's majesty. I really like that. Perhaps we could think about the sea for a moment. Uh, We love the sea here in South Sea, if you haven't noticed. Uh, It's probably a little bit. uh, Well, it's probably you'll be all right going in here at the moment because you're already wet, aren't you? Uh, But uh, some people here love, some brave people love to swim in the sea. Very impressed with those. Some people like to go out on a boat. They're very impressive as well. Some of us just like to walk along the side of it with a cup of coffee or an ice cream. Uh, That's also okay uh, too. We love the sea, don't we? We understand the sea, but we're also aware of the sea's power. We see it in storms when they come. We're aware of the power that the sea has. We respect the power of the sea, perhaps. Now, it's an imperfect analogy of God. I know it is because the sea isn't inherently chasing after our good as the Lord is. But there is a healthy respect for the sea. Perhaps that helps us to understand what it means to be joyfully aware of God's majesty in our lives. So fear, then, this morning. The last time I brought the teddies out, it was all about sin. Today it's all about fear. I need to do better at planning my sermon series so that I go on slightly lighter topics sometimes, perhaps. What is this first challenge for us? It is to be driven less by our fears. Some of this will be relatively easy for us to do. It will be easy to change our patterns of thought or change our patterns of behavior. We use here at St. Jude's the five R's. Uh, You may have come across these before. You need to recognize what the fear is that's driving your decision. Repent of having been allowed to be following it. Receive God's forgiveness, so important. Rebuke the lies of the evil one that will try to move you back into it and to realign yourselves, to turn away, which is what repentance really means, to move to a different pattern of behavior that exhibits a different pattern of behavior. Some of the fears that we face may well need this work. Some of them will have incapacitated us and will need further help as well. But there is freedom for us. That is what the gospel promises Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. There is freedom from this fear. Now, I need to pop in a health check here because you haven't heard me say that if you suffer from anxiety, if you suffer from depression, if you suffer from fear, then all you need to do is to pray more. That's not what I have said. After Ellie was born, I saw a very good Christian counsellor. She helped me with some trauma counselling. It helped me to deal with that. I always say when talking about physical conditions, when we need healing for that, do both. See a doctor, go for prayer. It's both and. It's just the same with our anxieties and fears. God has gifted us with wonderful health professionals. But whatever you do, do not continue to be driven by these fears. Instead, look to replace it with a healthy fear of the Lord. How do we do that? Well, David knows the Lord. David's heart is after God, it says. He worships the Lord. He finds God in his sung worship and in his time in Scripture. As we read his word, we will be reminded not only of what he has done, but what he promises to do. We can have confidence in him and his power. We can know the truth of these words if we reflect on and meditate on them daily. The Lord longs for us to be free of fear. He longs for us to fear just one thing, to have the fear of the Lord in us. To know that reverence of his power, again beautifully exemplified in the storm. I wonder if we might just take a couple of minutes to pray. Um, I'm going to get you to stand in a moment or two, but before then, just where you're seated. And perhaps you can just think for a moment, firstly, about two things. Firstly, if there are any fears that are driving you at the moment, what they are how you know when you respond to something, how you know you're being driven by a fear. If there's any fears that are unhealthy, not of God, I'll just give you a moment or two to think about that. those of you who have, most of us do, certainly I do, things that drive us, fears that drive us, we'll just simply go through a prayer that encompasses these five things. Lord Jesus, we recognize this fear at work in our lives. We recognize the temptation is to be driven by it, to be led by it. And the possibility that there is for that to drive us further away from you. And Lord, we repent of that, of believing that lie. We repent of that fear. We bring it into submission of you. And Lord, we praise you for your forgiveness. And we receive that forgiveness now. Where you are, just as we pray, Lord, would you fill us afresh, each and every one of us, fresh with your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray to you, Lord Jesus, that you give us power The weapons we have with have divine power to demolish strongholds, to demolish patterns of thought and behavior. And Lord, we speak against any lie of the evil one that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought that takes itself against the knowledge and understanding of God, and we make it obedient to you, Christ. we commit, Lord Jesus, to realigning ourselves to a fear of the Lord, to a reminder of your almighty power, your goodness, your majesty. Not quite finished praying yet, but I wonder if you would stand with me just as we realign ourselves with that, perhaps as the band... Just keep in this place of prayer together. Here, Lord Jesus, we stand. Lord Jesus, we come before you as your children, washed in the blood of the Son, knowing that we are forgiven. Knowing your power and your presence with us. Lord, would you excite us and inspire us for a future without fear? Would you help us to see you and your power at work in our lives? Spirit, would you come? In a moment, we're going to sing about the God who reigns. But I'm aware that maybe one or two people here might need uh, to mark how they've been praying. They might want someone just to pray with them as a sign of moving into a new season. If that's the case, then members of our prayer team would love to pray with you. They'll be um, to my left, your right, in a moment or two. But I suspect for all of us, we need uh, once again to submit ourselves to the Lord. So I wonder if you would be willing to hold out your hands as we do that and we say Holy Spirit come we thank you Lord Jesus for your presence with us we thank you for your love for us and Lord when things come our way we pray that you would help us to look to you to know that you are Lord and that you reign. Holy Spirit, would you come? In a moment, the band are going to lead us in a song. If it's helpful for you to sing, then, let's, then do join them. If it's helpful for you to sit and to pray, then do that. If it's helpful for you to dance, and do that. Whatever it is you find helpful, feel freedom in this space to respond to the Lord as he calls but let's sing together